the Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed, for through one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build the larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and all other goods. And I shall say to myself, now as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be, dem be demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for all who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich in matters of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. I want to jump right into the first reading today from Ecclesiastes. Sort of a not so happy sounding reading. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When you read the Old Testament and you get to that book, something of you just usually thinks to yourself, why is this even in the Bible, perhaps? It's so negative. Well, I wanted to maybe explain a little bit briefly why it's in the Bible and a little maybe a part of theology that's a little interesting that can help us understand and make sense of some of the Old Testament and to understand why this is in the Bible, we first have to just look at Jesus for a moment. And, and uh, I hope you've had your coffee this morning because this might be a little theological. Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man, which is logically impossible. You can only be 100%. You can't be 200%. It's a mystery that Jesus is fully God, fully man. He's not a God who just comes to earth and pretends to look like one of us. And he's not a normal man who was then chosen by God and blessed and given powers to do things. He is fully God, fully man. And that human and divine reality of Jesus plays out in the church as well. Because we talk about the church as being divine. It is the body of Christ and it's human Okay, uh, got to think if God's trying to tell me something. Okay, it's human. Our lights go out. We don't have everything perfect. We are part of God's church. And that divine part of the church is what makes the church so beautiful. And that human part is also what at times make this, makes the church quite a bit messy. And that same reality applies to the Bible. The Bible didn't just drop out of heaven. 
there's a divine part of the Bible. God inspired human authors to write what they wrote, and those human authors are also a part of the Bible. They weren't just kind of uh, the hand that God moved to write those words, which means that they put their humanity into the Bible. Some of them were poets, and so they would write in poetry. Some were, they loved to sing, so they wrote psalms. Others were historian types, so they kind of wrote just history. Some were more lawyer, legalistic types, and so they wrote a bunch of rules, and some were just fishermen who wrote in a simple way about an experience they had one day with Christ. And, and that also means that the, the human authors had a certain way of thinking about the world. In the Old Testament, you'll find things that an author might say inspired by God to write it, but they wrote that the sun comes up and goes down, and, and we know today that it's the other way around. But in antiquity, they thought of the earth as the center. It's not an error in the Bible to have that. They also would think that every single thing that happened happened directly because God or the gods did it. So if a tree falls over, it's because God knocked the tree over. And if a town is wiped out by a flood, it's because God wiped out the town by the flood, even though that's not exactly how it was, but that's how they thought of things. So the God of the Old Testament, when you might have questions, why did he do that? You kind of have to step back a moment and say there's something deeper here. Well, the authors also have a personality and a temperament. And so when we get to Ecclesiastes, you can see that so clearly. For the little kids here, you probably have watched Winnie the Pooh, haven't you? That might be a little too old of a cartoon, but it's a good one. I, probably better than a lot of stuff nowadays. And Winnie the Pooh has a friend named Eeyore. And Eeyore is always sad. And if you say, Eeyore, how are you doing? He'll say, I'm okay. And that Eeyore of the Old Testament is the author of Ecclesiastes. Okay. <laughs> so life is hard and tough and negative. And there's truth to that. He's not saying something that's not true. At the time, this is, he's writing before Christ has appeared on the earth. In the Old Testament, they have so many questions that they open up and ask that have no solution. So the Eeyore of Ecclesiastes realizes that bad things happen to good people sometimes. Good things happen to bad people. You can work your whole life and get all this wealth and then you're just worried about the wealth you have if someone's going to steal it or your, your, your wealth begins to become a problem. And then you work hard and your neighbor does nothing and then at the end of your life you die and your neighbor gets to take all your stuff. And they've just been lazy and done nothing. It, nothing makes sense. What's the point of life? And so that's why he says... Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Not in the way we say vanity. This isn't about someone who looks in the mirror too much. This means what he's saying is everything is futile. Everything is passing away. Everything is pointless. And that 
open question, which is an honest question that a man in the Old Testament could have asked, gets an answer in the New Testament when Jesus comes. And Jesus gives us the answer today in the gospel we read, which is why the church puts these two together. Jesus is there walking through the crowd and someone says, Jesus, tell my, my brother to give me the inheritance. And, and Jesus offers a parable. He says, our life is so much more than just the things we own. And he talks about the rich man who has so much excess wealth, he decides to, to build bigger storehouses and he tells himself, I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm going to be merry. And Jesus then says, you know, that night God comes to that man and says, you fool. See, the problem with the rich man isn't that he is wealthy. Jesus never said having wealth is sinful. Too often Christian pastors and others have read the gospel today in, in a very simplistic way and just said this means rich people are bad and poor people are good and that's embarrassingly shameful to, re to think of it in simply those terms. It's much deeper. The problem for the rich man is twofold. He's so wealthy, he doesn't realize how much he needs God, and so he doesn't think of God or worship God. And he's so selfish, he never thinks of his neighbor. What do you do with all that excess food that's going to go to waste? A normal person thinks, I'm going to give it to someone who needs food. And this man only can think of himself. The, the lesson is very simple. The answer that Christ gives us is that our life has meaning when we worship God and love our neighbor. And not only does it have meaning, but it has beauty at that moment. When we can truly wake up every morning and not just think of ourself. The problem with wealth has another reality which can probably touch us in our zip code here. And that is when you're so capable by your own devices, with your own talent and resources, you don't really need help from anyone. You naturally just start living through your life thinking that you're great and awesome and capable and self-sufficient. I don't need any extra help. I don't even need help from God. And that might make someone who's very wealthy, who doesn't know how much they need God, live a life totally apart from God, even if they show up to church on Sunday. And a whole church that kind of has that mentality might think to themselves, we're so awesome here, God should partner with us to help the world, as if God needed us. No, we need God. We're all a mess. I'll put myself in that category first of all. We need God. It's okay to have wealth, it's okay to have riches, as long as your life has the beauty of a Christian who worships God and loves their neighbor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.